the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. And we are back. Two lines open if you want to call in. We are in our second hour. Enjoyed the first hour. The number to reach me is one 367 5329 James, the Lord said in John chapter 17, explaining this enigma that, again, unfortunately, we're not too careful to get. Um, in John seventeen twelve, he says, while I was with them, speaking to the father, that is the disciples in the world, I kept them, father, in your name. That is by your authority and by your power, which was granted Jesus in his human nature by the spirit of God. Those that you gave me, I have kept past tense. And he was referring to the disciples because they were the ones that was chosen, that were chosen by Christ to join him in his um, apostolic evangelical task of affirming his messiahship. What Christ had done with the 12 was to um, reduplicate what God had done with the 12 tribes of Israel and what God had done under Moses. So when Moses had the 70 elders, Christ had the 70 disciples in Luke 10. So we have a new paradigm of a new Moses being established with a new law and a new gospel going into Jerusalem, first Judea, Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the world, because Christ is the ultimate lawgiver. He says, I have kept them in your name, those you have given me, and none of them is lost, as he said back in John six thirty seven. Then he goes, but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. In other words, and this is the stark warning that every one of us must adhere to. There's going to always be, even among the, the coveted and sanctified apostolic band, one like Satan, that old serpent crawling around in the Garden of Eden, or the one walking amongst the sons of God in the days of Job, or the one that tempted David in the days of his rulership, or the one that tempted our master when he was baptized and then entered into the wilderness, and he crept in among the disciples to take rule and reign over the heart of Judas Iscariot because Judas was the son of perdition. Now, whenever you read the term son of perdition, it means you were lost. You were never saved. To be a son of perdition is to be a son of the devil. This is what we're learning in the Genesis narrative when God gave the first proto-evangel that your seed shall crush his head and his seed will bruise his heel. When that proto-evangel was given to the devil, it was given to the devil. God made it clear that there would be two seeds running through humanity, a reprobate seed represented in Cain and a chosen seed represented in Abel. And that spiritual battle would go on till Christ would come and crush the head of the serpent at the cross and ultimately destroy him when he runs, returns again. Thus, Paul says in Romans 16, God will shortly bruise the head of the serpent under the church, which is the body of Christ, the fullness of him that filleth all things. So we want to be very careful to keep our categories right when we talk about what it means to be a professor of faith. Do you possess true saving faith? 
or are you merely a professor of words? And so we want to make our calling and election sure. Two lines open, one 888 Let me go to line number two and talk with Bonnie. Bonnie, are you there? Yes, Pastor Jesse. How are How you? How are you? I'm great. How I are you? I'm well. Good, good. Pastor, first of all, I want to thank you so much for being faithful to the Word of God. That's God's mercy. It's God's I've mercy. Li- God's I've mercy. listened to you for the last two sermons uh-huh. for, uh, in Genesis. Yeah. And I have heard, I mean, I've had spiritual light bulbs going on all over my spiritual life. That's what I heard. You know, I'm one of the... I'm one of those people that you call, you say, been served 600 years. I'm one of those. And, <laughs> and I am seeing things for the first time. I was sitting there and I was saying, oh, my goodness, I never saw that before. Right. And I had a question for you, but then you went and answered it during the sermon. I said, darn it, I still am going to call him tomorrow. <laughs> but, anyway, but anyway, the question what I was going to ask, I was, I was going to ask was, couldn't it have been that, uh, they had talked uh, the the snake. Mm-hmm. I hate snakes anyway. Mm-hmm. But that guy and uh, and um, Eve had had a chat more times than just that one time. Because all these years of being a Christian, six hundred years, I thought, oh, it was one time he talked to her and she ate the fruit and the whole thing. Right. But as I was listening to you, I said, oh my goodness, because the reason I thought it came to me was. It, I said to myself, a lot of sin that we commit mm-hmm. does not happen in an instant. You got it. Okay? We tend to, uh, a temptation shows up, we, we think about it, and we mull over it, and sometimes we may decide not to. The only thing that I can think of that may happen in an instant, I go to the store and I see something and I decide I want to take it. But things like adultery, you have to think about it. Nobody falls into adultery in an instant. Exactly. So I was thinking about that and they said, oh my goodness, they must have had a conversation before that because Satan doesn't come just like that. He's too crafty. That was one thing. But you went and you answered that because you said they might have had a chance to talk more than once before. But the other thing that I was thinking when you t- were talking was, you said something happened between chapter 2 and 3, mm-hmm. and there was another spiritual light bulb. I said, well, Satan was already fallen. Mm-hmm. And then you talked about him being created like all the other angels to be one of the servants of God's um, people. Uh, uh, apex of creation, yeah. and him being jealous and wanting to get at God, now he's been kicked out of heaven, so how is he, what is he going to get at? He can't get at God, so he's going to get at creation. Right. I'm telling you, I had spiritual light bulbs all over. Patrick came home, and I was saying, Patrick, you have to listen to Pastor Jesse's message from today. And he did too, so we are just loving it. Right, I'm getting a lot of really good responses from people about that. The, the reason, one of the big reasons why you're able to capture it is because you guys have actually been taught the gospel paradigm. Most people don't get what I'm teaching. You know that, Bonnie, because they haven't been prepared to see Christ in the scriptures. As you know, that's my uh-huh. fundamental argument that Adam was made in the similitude of him who was to come. This we will more fully develop next week. My fundamental um, objective was to honor the last Adam by honoring the first Adam. If Adam 1 points to the last Adam 
and we're making Adam one some buffoon, lazy, pot-bellied, beer-drinking yeah, slouch yeah, who allows his family to be dragged off into hell. What does that say about the last Adam? It's a horrible commentary on him. But that's because my 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 uh, my 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 preacher brethren. You know, sometimes we get lazy and careless and we kind of preach from a consensus of what most men have taught or most people are thinking. And right now, today, we're in a kind of retreat mode as men apologizing for all the bad things we've done to women. So we'll take a text like Genesis 3 and use that to lift up the woman and then to tear down the man. But as I told you, that's That's the same kind of distraction that the devil wanted in the first place. This book is not about you, me, or men and women and, and feminism and sexism. It's about Jesus. And if oh, we don't yeah. get at I, Jesus, we're going to miss it every time. Yeah, I was so glad. I always tell people that I go to my church and I get the, I get the, I get the, I get, I get a snack and I come home and I get fed. <laughs> I have gone to church sometimes and come home and could only hear 15 minutes of your sermon. And I get more out of that than I got from the church where I went. So well, that's I really a sad commentary. For- I know that. That's a sad commentary. I, I wish it wasn't. I wish it wasn't. But that's what I hear everywhere. That that's part. Yeah. That's part of where we are today. I, you know, just pray for your pastors because they have not. We are in an apostasy where men believe that the less Bible you teach, the better. They don't want to have to face. See, if you read your Bible. And you come across those speed bumps, and God puts those speed bumps in the Bible all the time to slow us down, right? You know, knuckleheads mm-hmm. driving down the street at 40 miles an hour when it's a 15-mile-an-hour speed zone. God slows us down because he wants to talk to us. That's right. He wants oh, to have a conversation so with us, right? But yeah, you, you can't very, talk very to thankful. anybody in 15 minutes. I mean, what you going to no. do in 15 minutes? You can't do Not nothing in 15 minutes. The- not especially in the Word of God. I've read my Bible through 14 times in my Christian life, and I'm finding new things in there. Well, you the other should. Thing that I, the other thing that I, I discovered as you were talking, I thought about Judas Iscariot right. being, you know, tempted by Satan. Right. And, um, it would, and that I, I would have thinking, taken some time. Exactly. It would have exactly. taken time. Yeah. It no. Was, when you, was, w- such revelations. It was yeah. wonderful. All right. Bless you, sis. Okay. Good to hear from you. Let's go to line one and talk to Mr. X. <laughs> hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, man, I, I, I am blessed and I appreciate, uh, you know, what you do, man. I've been listening to you here and there on 1100 AM okay. you know, over the last couple of years. Okay. And uh, and always appreciate the energy uh, and and knowledge that you're kicking. Thank you uh, from the scriptures. So good. what's I your thoughts? Jump in, man. It's my first time calling, so oh, I cool. wanna, for me, I've been working on the foundation. And, yeah. And for me, a foundation being that God is omnipresent. Okay. And that God is being omnipresent everywhere, everything penetrating, emanating, and all in all. Um, I, I take the standpoint and agree with you that absolutely Christ. Was the is the expression and and emanation of the Father as the Son, and there is unity and there is no separation for anyone or any of us um, at at that level of that understanding, and knowing that God being omnipresent means there is no absence of God anywhere. He fills all space and place. Now, so what I would do with, what I would do with that uh, brother X because I have actually been deeply um, exercised 
and language around uh, uh, the divine attributes. There are some words that you use that I would say that you would get into a major uh, debate with scholars around. There are terms that I would have you to be careful about, such as the term emanation. Okay, when you talk about Christ being the emanation of the Father, you would find that you're going to have a difficult time grammatically and exegetically utilizing that term. That was one of the terms that was fought against in the Aryan Athanasius battle. I, I know you mean well with it, but one of the things that I would say is that when you use when you are asserting that Christ becomes for the Father the revelation of the invisible God in every aspect of what that is, then you are correct because my fundamental discourse with my sister around the era that we have in our present generation where Christ is being diminished in terms of his attributes and characteristics and personal predications is that um, we need to be careful that we are not moving back into a unipersonal monotheism, uh, which is what happened in the, in the, in the uh, Nicene Creed battle. I would say to you, be careful about how you develop the concept of omniscience too, because one would hear pantheism in the way in which you express that God is everywhere present. But understand that when we use the term God is everywhere present, first of all, we are dealing with, in all humility, a mystery. You and I are. We're using terminology about a, a transcendent being that we are trying to give him honor to the reality of his all-knowingness. But if I should say that God is everywhere, I do not assert by that that God is in everything and in, in, in every space and that God is in every animal or every creature. We call that pantheism. And you want to be careful not to collapse into that either because God has an otherness about him that makes him distinctly different than its creatures. And because of that otherness there, there are what we would call category boundaries between God and us. In other words, does, does that make sense? Do you hear what I'm saying? Oh, man, I, I totally hear what you're saying, okay. and, and a lot of the times I like to start off conversations by saying I made you, until we sat down and went over a glossary on words to agree on what they mean, there definitely could be some misunderstandings, and, and I may not be using the, the best word applicable when speaking. But to I you. know your heart is right. So, I know your heart is yeah. right, and I know what you mean. You got something else you want to say, though, on the, on the topic before I let you go? Yes, yes. I was hoping to, to also speak about the fact that I don't, you know, I am not, I used to be convinced of, of Satan and the devil in the, in of the fact of a power uh-huh. that could stand against God. Right. That, 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 go on. That it could stand against, you know, God and whatever. I, and I'm no longer there, uh, especially with, with the deity of Christ, especially with who Christ really is, being the Father. Uh, being the Son and the Holy Spirit all wrapped into one to that greatness that, that you spoke of earlier that I'm no way touching on the Got proper it. way of Got explaining. It. Got it. No problem. Uh, that, that there is no way that I'm convinced that it is, the for whatever reason, that mystery that you speak of, of the false belief system that, that we use the devil as an excuse of why I did bad, but there's no evil force making us do it. Uh, there may be, I'm definitely... You know, and I'll share it from this perspective. I, I'm I'm into the to the mortal mind, the carnal mind, believing that there's a stream of of what we'll call human uh, beliefs that just aren't true. And just because they believe it, it's it doesn't make it true. Because what the truth is is God Almighty, divine mind, uh, unity, harmony, and love, and grace, uh, eternal grace, and eternal goodness, and that basically. 
uh, everything else is e- everything is God or it's nothing at all. It's an illusion. It's delusion. Okay. So uh, now, so, so I, now this is where you and I would have to sit down because my, <laughs> my sound theologian, but uh, in, in, in all love, I would tell you more, uh, Mr. X, we're still needing to work through because you're not actually expressing an exegetically clear, biblically clear, okay, biblically clear expository development of the character of God or a biblical worldview. There are a couple of things that needs to be straightened out in that. I appreciate your recognizing the greatness of God, but there is a there is a very real subject-object distinction between false forces and true forces. And we, we want to make sure that we don't get so caught up into a kind of metaphysical terminology that we're basically bringing into um, Christian uh, concepts, uh, New Age philosophy, Middle Eastern philosophy, certainly Hinduism, because that's kind of where that's going. Anytime you want to chat with me, call my office and uh, get my number so I can sit down with you and we can just have a, a friendly conversation about how you okay. are developing, how you are developing, because I would love to have you on the team yeah man i, I would love uh I, I i love and i'm learning and wanting and me of too loving god me too more and more and and you're doing uh wonderfulness with your great knowledge and i, I do humbly love you and appreciate you absolutely brother and so i I, w- I would love to do that and because and the one thing is too is that you know i used to hardcore be stuck just in uh the bible but knowing that god wrote it in our heart and when you hear buddha and krishna and christ all say as a man believeth even lao Tzu, and we could run down all those sages of the ages spoke the same a lot of the times the same exact phrase you know that that's a universality and it's, it's the core speaking. it's the core from which we actually now have to have the discussion. Listen, thank you for the for the call, my brother. I'll talk to you real soon. Gotta take a break. Gotta pay some bills. I'm way overdue. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back at the time, 624 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me see here. Who shall I go to next? Let's go to um, uh, Gigi on line number four. Gigi, are you there? Hi. Hi. What's your question, comment, or observation? I wanted to know, since you had touched earlier on Satan in the garden, mm-hmm. and the father took a rib out of Adam made Eve, right? That's right. So where did Satan come from? Okay, where is so- Satan? Yeah, Satan Satan is the fallen angel that is captured progressively through scripture and this is the thing that I'll I'll use your call to help my brother previously to us um uh underscore the enemy would love nothing more than for you and I and everyone to believe two things that he doesn't exist and that God doesn't exist. He would love that. He would love that. And this is what we call atheism. This is part of my opening commentary about folks who call themselves post-Christian. He would love for you to believe that he doesn't exist, and he would love for you to believe that God doesn't exist. Well, the Bible has laid out the revelation of the true and living God, Genesis 1 and 2, and then the Bible lets us know that a calamity occurred in the heavens that set the context for Genesis 3. 
Now the serpent was more subtle than any creature that God had made. Now once that language is given, it's in narrative form, so one must know dramatic terminology that's pregnant with all kinds of symbolic and typological meaning, particularly when you follow the Bible all the way through. So when you take that word nakash and follow it all the way through, you've realized that the serpent is the shining one. This is Middle Eastern Oriental symbolism, the shining one that the Bible talks about in Revelation 12, that Satan, that old serpent, the dragon who deceiveth the whole world. That terminology is used by Christ. Christ said it in Luke chapter 10. I see Satan falling from heaven. This is why we don't want to make him merely a concept. We don't want to make him merely an idea. He's a real person, not a person, but a real entity. And he is a fallen angel. This is why Paul said in second Corinthians chapter 11, and no wonder for even Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. And therefore his ministers are also uh, transformed into ministers of righteousness. So we want to say categorically, that Satan in the Hebrew is the Satan means the adversary, the adversary, the adversary is a fallen angel. There is no doubt about it. And those that have fallen with him, according to Revelation chapter 12, a third of the stars of heaven, that's symbolism for angels, stars are a symbol of those heavenly bodies that would be angels. And it's a representation also of the believer who shine as stars. We are angels as well. Different roles of angels on a more um, uh, physical level. As a pastor, I am an angel. That is the word malak in the Hebrew and the word angelos in the Greek means messenger. That's all angels are servants of God. Satan fell from heaven somewhere between the creation of the heavens and the earth in the day that God created them and where he comes and, as it were, feels, infiltrates a snake to have a conversation with Eve by which the door opens up for sin to enter into the world via Adam um, uh, under God's supervision. So what is he? He is a fallen angel. That's Second Corinthians chapter 11. He is part of the group and host of wicked uh, angels. Angels that have been cast down to Tartarus. That's Second Peter chapter two. He is that old serpent, the dragon, Revelation chapter twelve, who is cast into a pit in Revelation chapter twenty, and will ultimately be cast into hell uh, when Christ returns into the second death. Ultimately, he is a real foe. He is a real foe, so much so, uh, Gigi, that when we read Matthew's gospel chapter four. We would no way spend one nanosecond believing that Jesus was hallucinating when he had a conversation with the devil. The devil tempting him to go up to the top of the pillar of the temple. The devil tempting him, showing him all the kingdoms of the world. The devil tempting him to turn the stones into bread. That was a real conversation with a real entity. God would never, ever utilize his scripture in a way to create the kind of uh, mythical metaphysical uh, ideas that come out of Middle Eastern uh, religion. And so I'm going to say it one more time. The devil would love nothing more than for people to believe that he doesn't exist and that God doesn't exist. He was a fallen angel. Okay. 
God bless you. Let me go to line number three and talk with Mark in San Jose. Line number three, if you will. Oh, let me see if I can catch it with my guy here. Can't do that. There we go. Uh, we'll do line number three as soon as I get a chance here. Or maybe You know what? We're going to take a break. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll do line number three and line number one on the Monday. Oh, by the way, I've got two lines open. one 367 one Let's keep talking. Be glad to hear from you on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back at the time, 633 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We've had a very good conversation with many callers. We've got two lines open, one 367 and, and, and quite frankly, a lot of our calls have been in line with our topic today. I opened up. While you're calling one triple eight three six seven five three two nine, I opened up talking about this uh, deconversion strategy on the part of many who are leaving the church. Uh, people get upset. People get distracted. This is part of what we call the five D's of the devil. Do you know that the adversary is a liar and he's a murderer and he never abode in the truth? John eight forty four. He steals, kills. And destroys John 10, 10. That's his work. He never tells the truth, although he shrouds it in biblical language. The point being is that what you have to be careful to know is that there are men and women who are going to come into the church and go right out the church. This is a revolving door. Now, some are going out and they're just saying it's not for me. That's cool. But now others are going out is because they've been bitten by the serpent Now, the devil spends more time in church than anywhere. Now, here's what happened to Eve. Here's what will happen to you and I if we don't hold to the Bible from Genesis to Revelation rightly interpreted. The Bible says, he that diggeth the pit shall fall into it. And whosoever breaks the hedge, breaks the hedge. This is what uh, was being asked by our first caller, Melody. What does it mean to sin? It means to break the hedge. It means to cross the line. Breaking the hedge is when you push through the boundaries of a bush and you don't know that there are snakes in the bushes. When you break the hedge, you are susceptible to being bitten by the snake. And that's what happened to Eve. She allowed the devil to teach her philosophy and psychology she exchanged sound doctrine for emotional philosophical arguments and it opened her up by transgressing to be bitten by the serpent and the bible is very clear that surely the serpent will bite without enchantment and a babbler is no better the idea there is satan is a prophet a false prophet he's a psychologist a wicked psychologist he's a philosopher a very shrewd philosopher. And if he can get you distracted from the one central real truth that God has revealed to humanity, and that's the truth that's in Jesus Christ, he's got you. He'll give you a PhD in whatever you want, even in religion, is so long as he gets you off of the person and work of Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the problem today is that we don't love his appearing. That is the appearing of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about everything under the sun, but what God has been talking about from the beginning of time. Do you know that God has been talking about his son from the beginning of time? 
That's why John opened in his prologue by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And he made all things, and without him nothing was made that was made. Now God the Father is exalting God the Son, and that's what you and I should be doing. And for all eternity, our subject should be Jesus Christ, the revelation of the invisible God. That's why Christ meant when he said in John 14, 7, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. But do you notice that the church spends little time exegeting, expounding, and preaching Christ? They're talking about everything else under the sun. But the one subject that you and I need, the tree of life. So see, that snake slithered up to Eve and started talking about, yeah, yeah, yeah. You see that tree over there? What was he doing? Distracting her from the knowledge of God. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true living God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now we're talking about everything else but Jesus. What you hear on the radio, common parlance every day. So I've been teaching my people how to use a widget. You know what a widget is? W-I-J-I-T. It's a little tool that when you listen to people preach, you put the widget down and go, where is Jesus in it? And if you don't use the widget, you don't even know what you're not hearing. Well, let's see. Let's go to line number three and talk with Mark. Mark, are you there? Yeah. Are you aware George Washington, when he was sworn in, it was at New York? I am not aware of that, but I think I heard that in time past. But what does that have to do with Jesus? Uh-huh. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. Okay, now that's a long stretch, so bring it on in. Uh, Tow it in. Tow it in for me I now. I will bring it on in. He was sworn in on ground zero. Okay. The church, St. Paul's Chapel, actually owned all that land. So it wasn't only on ground zero. It was ground zero. And here's the amazing thing about it. If you read uh, Isaiah 9, verses 8 through 21, you have to get the whole flavor of 8 through 21, uh, you will notice that if there was one verse in the Bible that you would not want to pick to talk about 9-11 on, it would be that one particular verse. But if you isolate that verse, it would seem to apply. It says this, the bricks are falling down, but we will build with hewn stones. Bigger and better, right? The sycamores or fig trees are cut down, but we will change them into the mighty cedar, a better tree. Okay? And yet Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle, uh, the following day, said it's hard to find inspiration. He chose to use the word inspiration after yesterday, but I think a passage out of Isaiah fits us all, and then he read that verse. Okay? The only problem is... is uh, <laughs> You want to read 8 through 21, and 8 through 21 says that they said that about the bricks falling down out of their proud, hard-hearted, you know, arrogant, God-hating heart that didn't want to hear what God had to say. Now, you still haven't told Jesus. You still haven't brought Jesus into it. I gave you three minutes. You didn't bring Jesus in. You didn't hear what I said. I totally heard what you said, and I know the text, and I know the context, and I know that you are making application, but you're not actually dealing with the text in an expository way. 
I, I was just trying to. I was trying to find. I was trying to let you. I was trying to let you bring our Senate committee, who proudly and boastfully say, even though God has given us a sign that He disapproves of our rebellious, idolatrous, sinful ways by causing the towers of our God, represented by money, to come down. Uh, we need to bow the knee and cry out to God and receive His Son Jesus Christ, that we through oh, repentance and faith would begin to turn again to God, so that He might have mercy on. Us. But now you having me to do your job. You supposed to be doing that, Mark. Yeah, well, Caiaphas. Remember, it's kind of like a Caiaphas. Now you move into something. Now you moving to somewhere else. See, I needed you to preach oh, no. Christ. You didn't preach Christ. I need no, you to preach. You know it. nothing. Remember when he said, "You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and the whole nation perish not." How did he mean it like, Jesse? No. How did Caiaphas mean, mean that? What no, did he mean? He, he meant a lot. Mind? He meant a lot. Hold on. Now, Mark, now you and I know. I told you we're not going to be having this conversation between you and me with thousands of people that don't even know the context or the premise behind which you are making these comments. However, you and I do know that the Spirit of God moved Caiaphas to declare the suffering, atoning work of the one substitute for all who would believe on him, namely his people, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that contextually, that that's what What's going on right there? There has to be one that dies for the people. We call this substitution. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, you did a good Tom job. Dash- you did a good job. Tom right. Dashel. Ah, uh, uh, forget Tom Dashel. They, they pray for the whole. Pray for the whole Congress, the whole Senate. In fact, that's what God has called you and I to do. Pray for them. Let me go to line number one and talk with Misty in San Francisco. See if Misty can tell me something about Jesus. All right, honey. Tell me. Okay, listen. <laughs> this was absolutely off the rails, Dusty. Listening to these guys, I've got to tell you, this, this topic right now is so timely. It's so on target. It is so righteous in the name of Jesus that we are fighting an enemy that is so deceptive, that is so slippery, that is so yep. sneaky. Yep. And sometimes he's right up in your face, and other times, oh, he's, he's, a, he's a, everything's goody-goody. Yep. Everything's this, everything's that. I want to speak to a couple serious points. One, I'm an evangelist. Two, I have the gift of discernment. Mm-hmm. The first guy that called in, I just want to let you know so that you can help bring him along. He is not yet born again. He's talking about Eastern God. He's talking about false spirits. God is not just the fluffy God of the universe and the love and light. God came to bring peace and a sword. A sword I accept that. that. I accept all. I accept that. Cut the bone and marrow. I, I accept and that. And the devil... Right. So, so the thing is, is a lot of people don't understand this. Buddha, uh, Muhammad, all these gods are not saying the same thing. They're well, Muhammad is not a god. Muhammad all. is a prophet. But, but, but you are right. They are not saying the same things. They are so distinct. They are so distinctly different in their ultimate ex- expression. However, you exactly. might affirm. You might affirm this. Apart from. What the Bible says, all those other systems have a lot more in common among them than they would with the true and the living God and the gospel of grace and blood substitution and the narrow way of faith in Christ alone. We can see tenets of commonality among them. If we wanted to extract from the Bible the mere law keeping of the Mosaic system, then, yeah, we could say that the Mosaic system was the substratum for a lot of your um, uh, uh, um, uh, Arab, uh, Arab, uh, what we would call 
Aramaic religions, you, Islam and a few others that held to Torah. There are some commonalities there. But when you move it further to the east and you start dealing with Hinduism and, and uh, Buddhism and a bunch of these other kind of mystical religions, they are all rooted in Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is what the church tore down by the time we got to the 4th century AD. We've been clearly aware that Gnosticism is a kind of mis- Middle Eastern syncretism that basically destroys the credibility of the claims of Christ to have been actually a human being and actually God and actually bore our nature and actually died on the cross and actually rose again and actually ascended into heaven. It's actually at the right hand of God, actually ruling over this world, actually saving his people and actually come back one day. These are the fundamental cardinal tenets of the gospel. And you are absolutely right. Now, what I was doing, what I was doing with that young man is being patient because I'd love to sit down with him because I think he has a zeal. But as you probably were clearly aware, uh, he kind of ran off the rail. And uh, yeah, got to check them on well, that. Well, 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 Jesse, can I say something? I want to. I want to say something to this to this point, if I may. Mm-hmm. This is this is what's going on out there in the world. I mean, it, it is so true. I can't even describe it. As an evangelist, dealing with this twenty four hours a day, just just ten minutes of conversations on the radio sure. was enough to basically give almost give me a headache. Yeah. Last night, I dealt with a guy that said he was in Peru and he did ayahuasca. Another guy's over here. Another guy's over there. The thing about universal spirit is very much different. If you're dealing with, you're dealing with trying to minister to a Satanist, that is a much easier harvest because Satan knows and states that that even the de- even the demons uh, tremble. The other demons are like they're very tricky and they're kind of layered and they're layered under different things. The universal spirits are some of the trickiest, stickiest spirits that I've ever had to deal with. It's so true. You know. and they're it's coded, true. It's they're true. They're with the love, the fluffy love, and everybody's high, and everybody's <laughs> going to do some marijuana, and everybody's going to chant. It's really it's true. Really. You are telling the truth, girl. You know, Donna, there is no, look, no, you I are, you are. I want to say one thing about Satan. He was cast down. He's a fallen angel, but he was also cast down because he wanted to be God. Yeah, no and, doubt about it. And right now, we are dealing with, okay, I want I want to refer to some people so that they can listen. Okay. Uh, David Jeremiah just gave a great sermon on KFAX, you can catch it, talking about, there's about two or three pastors that were speaking about uh, the devil and his demons. Absolutely fabulous uh, yep, thing yep. to listen to. Yep, yep, it's, fundamentals. It's it, right? it's, the fundamentals. I mean, this is, this, is, this, is, this is my line of work, so this yeah. is when I get so fired up, and yeah. it's just, you know what, the deception is so thick right now. He's been trying to deceive me for years, because he says, I will deceive even the elect. Yeah, without a and doubt. He wants to, he, he wants to take away. Uh, he wants to take away your faith and make doubt. I agree. And the, God says that faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the Word of God. Only the and you know who God. brings me back to God every single time? Mm-hmm. Satan, because Satan is so easy to see as far as his destruction and his, his devilish cruelty and his. Uh, only, only, his... only when you have discernment, and a lot of people right. don't, and a lot of people well, don't. When your life becomes a becomes a mass from his destruction, per se. Yep. And sometimes it's hard to believe that God is really true, because, you know, you see the ocean, you see the sky, you see the moon, you see all that, and you know, I didn't make it, That's you didn't true. make it. That's true. You know, I mean, obviously, God had to make this. Mm-hmm. But when you come back into the corner and the, the cornerstone of that faith, that I, yesterday, the word that was on my mind was, there's one war. It's between Jesus versus the devil. And no doubt and about it. think that it... And you no can paint that it. in a thousand pictures. You want to paint it with Mormonism? You want to paint it with universal 
spirits. You want to paint it with being a good person. You want to paint it with agnosticism. You, want to you know what I'm atheism. getting ready to do? I got to yeah. take a hard okay. break to pay some bills. Thanks for the call. Right on. We needed to hear that. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're winding it down. I probably could take one more call if you wanted to try. one 888 I do want to encourage you to um, really, truly be thankful for Thanksgiving, not just for the food and, and all of the other amenities that, that God um, blesses and endows us with, and he does that to all of his creatures. He reigns upon the just and the unjust. But be really thankful for... Um, opportunities yet and still to hear the word of God. I mean, today's program, in my opinion, was very well um, accomplished, executed, and 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 I think deserving. I think we need to be uh, from time to time uh, inundated with a call to recognize that uh, we are dealing with a spiritual battle, and that uh, we you need to be able to know whether or not you have a widget. Because uh, a lot of Christians don't. Pilgrim's Progress lays out the warning to Pilgrim that as he makes his way through the enchanted city, um, that he does not fall asleep uh, and lose his scroll, which is where a lot of Christians are today. The scroll is the Bible. They do not have the Bible in their heart. They might have it on their cell phones. They might have it on their apps. They might even have a book here and there. But in the heart is another issue. And and I mean soundly in your heart. When Paul talked about sound doctrine, you're probably going to be hearing that shortly. If you haven't on the weekday program, I teach out of Second Timothy chapter 4, um, where Paul tells Timothy to preach the word in season, out of season, uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine for the time is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine. I'm going to expand on that in that text to let you know sound doctrine is doctrine that leads to health, spiritual health practical, pragmatic health, that particular term, hagiano, literally means to be whole. Sound doctrine ought to lead you and I into a place where our walk with God uh, restores us, restores our sanity, restores our thinking, restores our discernment, restores our identity, restores our calling, restores our purpose. Uh, And when you take the word of God seriously, you will be built up, rooted and grounded in the faith and no more tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And as Misty said, it's happening everywhere. It's so sad. You have a five minute conversation with a person says, yes, I'm a believer. And the next thing you know, they're talking weird out of the side of their head. And you know, they haven't been reading their Bible. Then I wonder what kind of church they go to, whether or not the pastors are serious about feeding the flock. I really am. And I'm a pastor. I can do that. I can actually be concerned about uh, my colleagues who call themselves ministers, who, who, are, more, who are more decorated uh, in terms of uh, educational accomplishments than yours truly, to be honest. And yet I still wonder. Now, I'm called. I know I'm called. And I know that I can, uh, I can exegete and preach the word of God. And so I do it. But I, I, I speak with all humility. I'm very much concerned about the quality of teaching that, that comes forth from the pulpits today. Because as the preacher, so is the pew. As the pulpit, so is the pew. If we're not serious about strengthening the body of Christ with sound doctrine, not trendy stuff that have to do with cultural issues and uh, social justice arguments and and gender paradigms and 
and and and and and, and moral uh, issues that have to do with uh, the the conflicts that are going on on a, a racial level historically. All of those are are, are secondary issues, not unimportant, but. If you spend all your time trying to get people to uh, uh, apologize for the injustices that have taken place for minority groups over the uh, millenniums, even back to the beginning of time, you're never, ever going to get to preaching the gospel. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. Be distracted from Jesus and get caught up in law keeping, which means you get to accuse somebody of transgressing God's law whether against you or somebody else. And now you're simply a law keeper. You're not a gospel proclaimer. And people can't keep God's law until they're filled with the spirit of righteousness. They can't do it. They can't even hear God's law until the gospel opens their ears to sin, righteousness, and judgment. They can't even hear it. So I think a lot of what has to be done in terms of local pulpits is that our pastors need to be repenting need to be getting on their face. This happened to me, and I'll I'll use this in closing. This happened to me about 15 years ago, my pastor brother, particularly you who are struggling in your churches, and you know, you know that your churches are waning. You know that. You know that your people are lethargic. You know that you have a Laodicean complex going on in your church because it's a social and a cultural thing. Yes, it's spiritual, but it's social and cultural. You know that your people are not hungry for the word of God. And therefore, you, you couldn't preach to them for an hour if you wanted to. You should have trained your people to sit under the word of God as long as God is speaking. That they should not want to leave until God has said all that God has to say to them through the word by an empowered preacher who is full of the anointing, talking specifically to his people about Jesus, because you need every bit of Jesus you can possibly get. But where we have pinched off the word of God, by and by and by, our people now have very little diet for sound doctrine. And now you got to go to entertaining and telling stories and anecdotes, which is not sound, expository, God-exalting, Christ-centered preaching. That's not what's going on today. So your churches are shrinking. And God is actually speaking to you. And you know what he's saying to the angel of the church of Oakland and Hayward and San Jose and San Mateo and San Francisco and Richmond and Sacramento to the angels of the churches in the Bay Area. Repent. Lest I take my candlestick away from you and you have no more light and all you are is a social club. It happened to me many years ago. God started causing bleeding to occur because I was just simply out of rope form going through the motions until I realized I had to get on my knees in my closet all by myself and cry out to God all week long to break my heart and change my soul and fill me up with his spirit and take me deeper into his word and give me a love for the souls of people, not to be afraid to preach as long as he needed me to preach, to get a hold of the hearts of men and women so that he could have real people who really loved him and really served him. After all, it's not about how many. It's not about how many. God has a number. It's about men and women actually being rooted and grounded in Christ enough to be willing to suffer for the glory of God in Christ. And we're not ready to suffer. That's why we're not talking about it. So my prayer to my preacher brethren is if God is telling you you got a problem, get on your knees and you'll hear him. All right. You guys have a wonderful Thanksgiving.
good being with you. Um, I, for one, am going to look for where I can get me some, uh, I want some peach cobbler. Yeah, want some peach cobbler. Um, I want somebody to fix me up some old-fashioned peach cobbler. Holler at a brother. I'm telling you, I'm looking for, I haven't had none. It's just like the gospel. You can't find good peach cobbler anywhere. So y'all know my number, right? 1-886-9782. 1-886-9782. Pastor got cobbler for you. And I will be so thankful. (laughs) Until next time, God bless you. Bye-bye. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.